Welcome to Coming Clean, the podcast dedicated to common sense environmental dialogue, environmental optimism, and real environmental solutions. This show is proudly powered by Orsted. Welcome back to Coming Clean with your host, Benji Backer. I have one of my favorite people that I've gotten to know over the course of working with ACC and working in the environmental movement on the show today. One of the most storied, if not the most storied mountaineer and rock climber in the world who's ascended some of the toughest peaks and lived a life that truly no one else could live, but that's what makes Conrad Anchor, Conrad Anchor. Uh, And I'm just so proud to have you on the show, Conrad. Welcome, and can't wait to dive in. Yeah, thanks, Benji, for the invitation, and thanks all listeners for tuning in. Well, I, I think back to our time, uh, kind of the first time that we met was on this documentary that I don't think has come out yet, but it was a, it was an opportunity for people of all different backgrounds and walks of life to go on a backpacking trip with each other in one of the more unexplored mountain ranges of the United States. And we fostered just a wonderful kind of relationship and friendship on that trip. And I think it kind of as a microcosm of your activism in this space. You've done a lot of work, obviously, being in the mountains and and, and enjoying that as your, you know, kind of hobby and passion. And, and, and eventually, you know, your entire, you know, life's work has put, you know, historic uh, achievements into the mountains. But you've also done a lot in terms of your activism for protecting the mountains. And I want you to kind of go into you know, a lot of people know of you because of the achievements that you've had of of ascending some of the greatest peaks in the world, but you've also had an incredible amount of achievements in your activism to protect those peaks. And I want you to share with the listeners as to why that is such a passion for you and that it's not just about being in nature, it's about protecting it through your voice as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, Yeah, so uh, I go back to all things important bazooka bubblegum they used to have little cartoons and wax paper that would have these little miniature bricks of bubblegum and one of the cartoons was how do mountains here and it was mountaineers and a simple pun so in a sense we are the ears and the eyes of the mountains we don't um we take what we see there and we share it with other people so mountains being inanimate um they have no voice and so what we've seen how the effects of the mountains changing over the last 200 years it's um, it, the responsibility came to me to to elevate that voice and for the also for the animals and the other um sentient beings that are in these spaces that don't have a way to communicate with humans right well yeah and i think what I, what I really like about that is that there's an intersection between giving a voice to the mountains and being in the mountains themselves. And I think one of the areas where Americans and, and people around the world that in my travels I've seen have really struggled with is pairing their love for the physical environment with the topic of climate change that seems so political. And I'd love for you to explain to listeners why those two intersect so much. So diving in a little bit deeper into that, because there shouldn't be a disconnect there, the love of the environment and the topic of climate change, but there is. And what have you seen on that disconnect and why do you feel like that intersection is so important? The the natural beauty of the United States of America, which 
the here on Native American lands. It's something that is our heritage more so than say cathedrals or anything you might find in Europe or anything like, like that. So the the open space and how we approach it is a really is a key part of the American psyche and how we got to where we are today. And it um we think back to President Nixon with the Endangered Species Act, Environmental Protection Act. And so there was bipartisan support to address at the time was pollution and specifically DDT and how it was affecting the national symbol, the the bald eagle. So there um, was very, it was, it was tied to a, a national identity. And um, so we're, um, from a personal standpoint, we are as citizens of the United States, we represent some 4% of the world's population, but we consume about 25% of the world's resources. So a very carbon intensive lifestyle. I'm I buy into that. I'm part of it. I get it. Um, but we also have this fantastic educational system. So in measured in uh, PhDs and patents, the eight of the top 10 universities are here in the United States. So couple that with the uh, creativity and the, um, the entrepreneurship and, and things that make America America, so to say, to use a hackneyed phrase, we have this potential to address and be leaders in um, climate and energy spaces. I completely agree. And I I think our, our American willingness to engage in this topic for more than just loving nature itself, but advocating for it is something that we all have to start stepping up to do. Because as you alluded to, we have one of the most beautiful countries in the world, uh, and arguably the most diverse geographically in the world. Uh, and, and most Americans, regardless of their background politically, understand that and, and appreciate that. It's just a matter of taking that to that next step of, of working to, to protect that for future generations. And together, like you said, like it used to be, you know, one of the things you also touched on there is is the education system and the opportunities that we have to protect the environment that we should be taking advantage of. One of the areas that I've really appreciated in your work is the work that you do to diversify and, and stand up for communities that haven't been included in kind of the, the love of the outdoors as much as others. And when you think of some of the outdoor activities like hiking or skiing or um, mountaineering, a lot of times people see those as you know expensive kind of high wealth activities, but you've been working on getting communities into uh, into the mountains, into nature that, like I said, otherwise haven't been. First of all, why is that so important to you? And second of all, how can we make the outdoors and those activities more accessible in the long run when these sorts of activities just inherently have been expensive. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> the foundation for wanting to share the outdoors is based in the manner in which humans communicate with other humans. We think about most of our recreation, we create a time frame, we create a spatial frame, we put rules, we put judges, and we then pit one human against the other someone always loses. Yeah, we love team sports and their the metaphors and all that. But when you think about it, what is foot, football it is played in the United States? It's a very hierarchical, very violent, very misogynist. It's a tough sport. 
calling it what it is from my view, welcome to disagree. The manner in which humans communicate when we're outdoors is one of trust, one of understanding, one of shared goals, and then helping that person achieve that goal. You can't climb a mountain by yourself. You climb a mountain with a team, shared goal being making it to the summit. If you don't support the person you're with, then you're going to let yourself down. So rather than taking a, a human construct of rules and judges and frame all that stuff, it's like really simple. You climb up a mountain, you hike in the forest, you go visit these places. And that shift in how humans communicate is the motivation to take down defenses, open the gates, get as many people out here as possible enjoying nature it doesn't have to be climbing skiing there's no way around it it's expensive even backcountry skiing is expensive um but you can um you can take a stroll in a nature preserve there's nature accessible to all people in the united states within 15 minutes of your home and disconnect from the glass cement plastic world we live in and connect to nature and hopefully in doing so have a more meaningful connection with your fellow humans. Yeah. I think that's, it's a great point getting out of kind of our glass, you know, cement plastic world. That also goes to something that I think about, which is kind of this go, go, go mentality of society today and kind of how increasingly high paced our world is. Um, Do you feel like that increasingly high paced society, the go, go, go mentality, the, the, the kind of, have everything at your fingertips all the time, uh, whenever you want it, wherever you want it. Do you feel like that has an opportunity or has detracted from our protection of the environment? Or is that something that worries you in, in how we move forward, especially since we don't seem to be slowing down anytime soon? Yeah, that's a a great observation that progress and furious, like go, go, go is part of the American psyche. As an individual, we have to choose to, limit the amount of um interaction that i mean yeah you this little four inch device is 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 a great tool but at the same time it's it's um algorithms which are mathematically based opinions and biases that are baked into them lead us down um, to less of an open um, view of, of and less understanding. I mean, yeah, 2007, we're like, hey, this is great. I connected with my high school friend and they're into crochet and, you know, it's like this lovey-dovey. And then we saw how terribly bad it was going when it's um, there needs to be some degree of regulation. So um, at this point here in January of 23, I'm trying to, trying to navigate the world without that the metaverse between facebook and instagram and and then i gave up on twitter i mean it just <laughs> it devolved and I, I, time's too precious i mean i might i'd rather do sit-ups and crunches in my basement than look at the dribble that gets served up to me there so um yeah we're the future is we don't know where it is but we're kind of understanding what this social media universe that we've created and how entertainment is on demand and as you want it's not when i was a kid if i wanted to watch the brady bunch it was on thursday at 7 p.m and 
Hell, I had to watch it so I could talk to the other kids at the school, the playground about what happened. Now it's like, oh, I'm going to watch Yellowstone on stream Yellowstone when I want it, binge watch it and watch multiple people get violently killed. I mean, and yeah, it's just call me a Luddite or anything like that. But <laughs> well, I, I think I think well, I, that's going to resonate with a lot of people, though, because there's this. This, there's this disdain of social media and the the disconnect that it has from each other, from nature, from that everyone knows is the case. But the problem that I, I hear all the time, and this is something that I'm guilty of as well, is that we're all aware of it, yet we still embrace it and still engage with it because it is fairly addicting. You know, it's addicting to go to, to Instagram. It's addicting to go to Twitter. And even if you dislike absolutely every single thing that you see on your Twitter feed that actually might make you more likely to look at it because it fuels your, you know, your brain with rage or anger or, you know, at the very least engagement and entertainment. And uh, to your point that has spilled over to, to everything from TV and, and, and uh, movies to uh, to other apps that have come up over the last few years. And that, that ability to disconnect from that craziness to me is one of the greatest answers into protecting the environment. Because when you do disconnect, it allows you to remember how important nature is. If you're looking at your phone and you're driving through the mountains, which so many people do when they go to the national parks or they go to the outdoors, it's all about kind of the social media game if you actually weren't looking at your phone and kind of looking around and, and enjoying everything that you were doing, it'd be far more obvious that that's important to protect. But if you're distracted and kind of on this go, go, go mentality, whether that's for social media or you're working or whatever it is that you're distracting yourself with, it's harder to remember how important that protection is. So I, I feel like that's one of the greatest answers that lies within how we move forward on the environment and on top of that, before we kind of dive into the the politics of all this and and everything that we can do to help kind of mitigate some of these issues, one one of the last questions that I want to ask on this topic is, how do you feel like the social media division has made the political division on this issue worse? Do you feel like it has? And, and if so, what have you kind of seen in that vein? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's uh, people, they will they'll start out with a, a comment and then it'll echo about with them. Um, I'll use Twitter as an example. I had followed uh, my elected officials. I like to follow energy. I like to follow um, uh, space exploration, a few things like that. And, and, and it was just, it was sort of, it was sort of neat. But, um, you know, then because the, the makeup of our um, four elected officials in the state of Montana and they don't accepting one they really don't communicate they don't hold town halls there's no what they're doing is past tense and we hear it from on twitter and um but then i would just get i was like i i want to know what my elected officials are doing but i don't want to know what jim jordan is doing i don't want to know i mean it just it just changed what i was getting the information that i was getting and that it that it because I followed X, Y, and Z, I would get A, B, and C in terms of mm. moderated, algorithmically driven content with that. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's very difficult to um, 
to see to how we're how are we going to to change this and hey, right, so though, it, and i think one of the one of the problems is that you've got Jim, the Jim Jordans and, and the AOCs of the world that are always on our feeds and the people who want to th- think, and I'm not saying both of them don't want to think concretely ever, but th- there's this unwillingness to prop up and, and pay attention to some of the more thoughtful voices in elected official, in the elected official world, in the news world, in the science world. If you're talking in a way that's kind of common sense, right of center, left of center, I'm in the middle, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't spread. And what does spread is this, you know, climate change is going to kill us all tomorrow or climate change is all a hoax. And those are the types types of things that show up on our feeds. Um, and it's really made this issue and so many others so much harder to tackle. And, you know, I think, I think back to before I was born, I, I would believe that it was easier to have a conversation about the environment uh, during the Nixon years where people just shared, you know, the love of the environment with each other than it is now where when we think about the environment, we think of individuals that are polarizing We on both sides. We think of uh, how it's been weaponized for the media on both sides, and it's become very frustrating. So as you look at the political way of the land, how do you feel like that bridge can can start coming back to being built. It's bit, it was there before. Um, how can it be repaired? And where can both sides do better? I know you know you've got a lot of frustration, understandably, with Republicans. But where where can both sides do better in their fight to to kind of build the bridge if they are uh, of the the mindset that that's important? The whole the the, the solution isn't going to be easy, and it's not going to be one area it's going to be it's going to require compromise it's going to require innovation it's going to require investment it's going to require market externalities otherwise um a price on carbon um and and looking at what the real cost of 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 our our actions and activities are and um but yeah the the foundation to that would be um rather than Owning the other party, which is, I don't know where that came from, but it's more just like humiliating and making look bad. Um, But it's, it's just instead of like, hey, these are the, these are the top 10 priorities that we need to address as a nation. And it, um, and, and how can we work together to get them? And I'm, I'm less optimistic than I was a year ago or two years ago when I spoke with you, Benji. I'm, it's, you know, we've gone from looking at common sense things, how we can address the environment and energy equality for people and, and, and the benefit that energy has that uplifts people out of poverty and all of that to where it's, it's, it's moral issues that are based on someone's belief and conviction that that and those are taking up more of our bandwidth than say how are we going to address energy security how are we going to transition coal plants into the next future how is um 
liquefied natural gas moving around markets? How does that, how do we keep energy production stable without inviting in um, autocrat, autocrats and, and despots that are, that are using that money to, well, to hold on to power and subjugate their citizens. So it's, um, it's very complex, but it, um, well, one of the one of the biggest issues of that is your point about how the yeah the 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 minority on both sides that is loud uh, and the most divisive has the loudest microphone, and you've got the American society that is is looking at the news and looking at um, social media and seeing that day in and day out, and it's made it really hard for organizations like ours and, and others to solve climate. I, I think your frustration that. It potentially is harder than it was a year or two ago is something that I share, but that's, that's <laughs> the fact that it's harder now to make progress on this potentially than it was a year or two ago to me is even more frustrating than the fact that we can't do it in the first place because we have more people, politicians numbers wise at the table for bipartisanship on the environment than, than we have in the last few decades. The Conservative Climate Caucus is the third biggest caucus in Congress now. Uh, it's almost 100 Republicans that want to do something about climate. Obviously, Democrats have wanted to do it for the past couple of decades. You have that many people at the table now, and it's, to your point, potentially less likely to do something. The only thing that's more important than the money in politics and the in, you know the stakeholders externally is the votes, and you can't win without them. And of course... The money can dictate votes, but if we're all aware enough and, and engaged enough, it can help kind of mitigate some of those impacts from those that are trying to just kind of save themselves instead of uh, work for the people. So kind of on a more hopeful note, though, I know I know that there's a lot of frustration, uh, understandably, on your end, but from a more hopeful note, from what you're saying from the outdoor industry, and I know you work with a lot of brands and a lot of organizations, where do you feel like the outdoor industry and uh, outdoor companies can play a role in climate advocacy? And what are some of the things you're excited about in that space? Yeah, um, and thank you, uh, Benjamin, for your organization, the Conservative Climate um, Coalition, to, to bring 100 uh, elected representatives to the table on that. I really appreciate that. And that that work does not go unnoticed. And, and, and appreciate that, too. Yeah, and so very, um, very, very thankful for that. And to, yeah, to to get more, I mean, we see, say, in a place like Alabama that just had these unseasonal tornadoes that you can't say directly, oh, it's like atmospheric CO2, it's up to 430 or something. You can, there's a, there's a scientific colliery to it but the increase in temperature of the gulf of mexico then it, it, things add up to it. so we're going to have more severe storms more events like which is currently taking place in california where it's where they've been dry for eight years and now they're too wet and trees are toppling over because the ground has turned into a milkshake i mean we see these um we had the the cold snap that came through montana and and the second week in December, and it dropped down to almost record-breaking uh, cold temperatures, and then it was warm again. And so these these temperature anomalies are they're they're signals and they're wavelengths that are 
amplified by climate change and they affect all communities. There's not any, it's not a red state or a blue state type thing. And the, um, that, uh, that if there is this understanding that it is immediate and that by working together and harnessing the, the ingenuity and the creativity, the entrepreneurship, the, the can do, the, the stuff that made the greatest generation 70 years ago, 80 years ago, is now where can we, where is that societal mojo that we can we can come there and work together and that um yeah so there um i'm optimistic um for the youth that um as i mentioned the two young men that i shared the car with and, and, and your friends because i'll live out another decade or two and but i'll have plenty of carbon and but what affects me is how i go to bed at night was i able to do things that are going to improve the place and, and the betterment of other people. And I'm doing fine. I'm a white male here in the United States, living a life of privilege. But that doesn't mean I should have more privilege for myself. That means it is my responsibility to use my lever to uplift mm -hmm. other people. And that's by addressing energy, knowing that that lamps provide literacy, literacy educates women women have children later there's a better life track for the that family and those individual things the data that we can use with that and so even though i might be here in southwest montana i certainly see my input and my intention on a on a national and global scale and that when we all work together we all approach life with that mindset we'll be able to do great things yeah, I, I really appreciate that comment because I think there are a lot of privileged people in this country, especially compared to others, and obviously those who aren't privileged in this country as well. But those who do have privilege, you and I and and so many others have an opportunity to use those those platforms that we've been given, whether that's a physical platform or, or, or a, a metaverse platform or a, whatever platform it is, you know, we've been given it and, and we have the resources to invest in those sorts of things. And, um, you know, spreading the message you've done so much, like we talked about earlier to bring different communities into the outdoors, to dedicate your life to climate advocacy and, and work with different nonprofits to protect public lands. Uh, you don't do that because it is something that, you know, pays the big bucks for gets the, gets the, gets your privilege to privilege level higher. It's because you want to give back. And I think that mindset is incredible and something that a lot of people could learn from. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of people who know of you and know about you that are going to be inspired to hear about the amount of work that you're putting into, uh, into these issues that, I mean, I've already seen it firsthand talking to people about your work, but I'm sure there are so many others that could, could, better uh themselves by knowing it and and that's why i i really appreciate everything you do for this space and, and the amount of hope that you give to the community through your kind of kind and you know bold vision for the future um that is so much bigger than yourself so i i, I greatly appreciate that and um so rapid fire questions these should be all pretty fun 
First is the most underrated place to climb that you've climbed. That's underrated. People don't talk about it much. Oh, um, gosh. Seneca rocks. And I think it's in West Virginia. So outside DC, there's great heritage of climbing there and, um, it's a really neat formation and it's a beautiful place to be. I've only been there twice, but um, I've always been impressed by it. That's that's awesome. And also kind of goes to the conversation about how much beauty there is in some of these places that haven't been active in the environmental and climate dialogue. Uh, there's a reason to protect what you just listed uh, as your most underrated place to climb. Okay. Number two, the country that you'd want to live in outside of the United States that you've just that you could totally see yourself being in full time if if you were given the opportunity. Either Norway or Chile. <laughs> well, those are two pretty. You gave two, but those are two pretty good ones. <laughs> Norway first, but they have a sovereign fund with their oil, and they they learned from the Iranians in the seventies how to work with that, and um, but also a smaller population. I mean, a population of uh, four to five million is is much more manageable than 330 million right so yeah, and there's so much beauty there that is uh protected and they can still have their energy um, production at the same time getting increasingly more efficient increasingly cleaner and uh, but i also live in nepal too so these are these questions which are like no you know by the end <laughs> of this we're gonna have 15 countries you're living in yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Third favorite dinner in the mountains. Favorite dinner in the mountains would be, um, oh gosh, um, shredded mashed potatoes for breakfast, fried up in a skillet. So they're dehydrated, and you let them soak overnight, and get a little bit of potatoes in the morning. <laughs> I think for most people who have never tried it, that wouldn't sound very good. But for those who have had it in the mountains, they know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, that's that's so awesome. Here's my idea on food and, and whatnot. The, the less scenic of a place you are, the more higher quality the food needs to be. Manhattan's scenic in its own right, but it's not nature. So you have to have really like super good food. You're on the side of a mountain and you're watching the sunset over the crest of the Himalayas. You have a top ramen, some salty soup, that's the best. So the higher the scenery, the less quality of the food, the less scenery, the higher quality of the food. And then at home, eat healthy and try to eat cleanly. That's probably one of the most ex important perspectives from any interview that this podcast will ever have. I love that. <laughs> All right. Fa favorite outdoor activity that doesn't take place in the mountains? Um, well, um, this walking and, and enjoying nature. I mean, it's not in the mountains, but it's still within that um, sort of, I also, um, I like working in the forest. So I've always um, kind of figuring things out there. So working with well, my hands. Con Con Conrad and, and I remember when we were, uh, building a campfire in the mountains you were you were chopping up the wood yourself and uh that that makes sense why that would be part of the answer that was so so much fun and uh makes sense that being in the forest or just taking a stroll in nature would, would be the answer to that okay and then the last one is your favorite american city east of the mississippi river oh east of the mississippi river um gosh um 
Are they all? I like Chicago because it's it has its own sort of vibe, and it, it is what it is. Manhattan is phenomenal because it's the capital of the world, so it's, it's this melting pot. Washington D.C. for the history and everything that goes—that's part of it. I really don't know much about um, Boston, but um, yeah, there. I'd probably say the nation's capital, Washington D.C. Well, that's uh, it's a place where you've had a lot of impact as well. Uh, a lot of elected officials and leaders whether that's through Protect Our Winters and the organizations that you're part of or your individual voice. Uh, it's been a, it's been a place where you've been able to make a lot of progress. And uh, I'm just really excited to see what we continue to do together. The, over the course of the last few years, we've gotten to know each other more and we haven't been able to see each other as much, especially with COVID, but there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of hope to be had, a lot of pressure to be felt as well. And there's going to be more voices like you and I needed to work together across i think you know you might see yourself as center left or some center and i'm right of center moderately and there's just so much that we can do across kind of the the common sense political spectrum that exists out there uh that i'm really excited to continue forging with you and i really appreciate your time and willingness to to dedicate to this issue but also to to chat with me about some of the most important issues and i'm sure we could talk for hours but uh i think this is this is a great start yeah, and I uh, appreciate it. And hopefully with uh, lead time, I'll be able to attend one of your conferences and, and meet and network and brainstorm with people and get things um, going there. But um, Absolutely. So we'll we'll plan on that for potentially in your uh, the, the town of your alma mater, University of Utah, for this year's event. Um, yeah. But until then, there's a lot of stuff we can do virtually and, and just grateful for your leadership and willingness to come on today. Sounds good. All right. See you, friend. Thank you. Best to everyone out there. And before we jump, the Coming Clean podcast is grateful to be powered by Orsted, a wonderful company strengthening America's energy security with reliable and domestic clean energy. Through its integrated renewable energy solutions, Orsted is creating American jobs, investing in American communities, and driving American innovation, all while preserving our country's natural habitats. A clean energy future truly connects us all, and Orsted is helping lead the charge. To learn more, visit us.orsted.com.